Yeah, my problem, I spanked him. Yeah, you, How did he gonna be yeah, as equally talented as me? Are you serious? As easy as I beat him, I could have beat him while playing Chuck on the other side. That's how easy that was. And he better than us? Are you serious, James? I said, I said, Gerard's a great fighter. He's fighting 130 pounds. <laughs> no, he said, you gonna beat my what? You gonna beat my what? He's a great fighter, fight 130. I think he beat Lemon Chico. You starting to say all these big words. I'm, I'm starting to take it as disrespect. I'm telling you. You don't even Look, we could die. Look, we could argue all day. We could argue all day. But look, fuck. What are you saying? No one has knocked you out. I'll fucking knock you out, bro. Dickhead. You fucking gobshite. Hey, and welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where. Simon Jordan continues to embarrass us as fans. Like he always claims to be the the voice of the fans. The guy's an idiot. Like he's 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 an absolute plank. Do you know what I mean? Look, I grew up with kids who did stuff they weren't supposed to do, and they made a a a, a, a ton of money doing so, right? But they were thick as two short planks. You know what I mean? They were smart in what they were smart at but they couldn't apply it to anything else. And that's what you found with Simon Jordan. I didn't listen to all of it, mainly because I missed most of it. And then by the time I listened, I knew he wasn't going to have Eddie on the ropes because he wasn't going for the, for the things that really matter. He couldn't string logic together. And because he couldn't string logic together, Hearn could just talk over him when he had to. The main battleground was Conor Ben, as everyone expected. You know, they went back and forth over stuff. Uh, I just don't know what Simon Jordan was thinking, right? So, things that are things that are up for debate, whether the ball got a cease and desist letter or not, right? That's up for debate. We haven't seen it. Hearn says he hasn't seen it, but then why would he? Because he says he hasn't been involved in the process. But if we believe that exists, the follow-up question is, if it took five weeks for the board to cancel the fight, what was happening in those five weeks? From a matchroom perspective, Eddie, were you phoning the board? Were you messaging the board? Were you asking for updates? Can you prove you're asking for updates? If you were, what was the response back? What were the board waiting for? Because that's an easy way to come back to the point that says they had to show that they had jurisdiction. Because Hearn was talking about by precedent, they, they have to disregard VADA. Okay, cool. And so Simon Jordan's next obvious question should be, so why do you have VADA testing if you can disregard the results of a VADA test? Surely it should be in your fight contract that VADA test results rank equal with UCAT test results. And you can have that in your contract because you're free to negotiate anything in your contract. The board won't go against that because the board will say, listen, if you're doing this to, to beef up anti-doping, it's only a good thing. We'll just create a link back into UCAT. These are all very simple things he could have said to Eddie Hearn and had Eddie sweating and, you know, chomping at the chomping at the bit, salivating, whatever you want to call it. He could have easily done all of this if he had prepared. But Simon Jordan's in the business of Simon Jordan. And so him and Eddie had to have the ego, the shouting and screaming. And one thing Simon Jordan did show is you don't have to put that much pressure on Eddie Hearn because Simon Jordan didn't ask many hard questions. And Eddie was going to pieces. He got emotional. He got wrapped up in his feelings. He, he started to sound like the guy that never got girls in school. He started to sound like the guy who 
probably had to buy his girlfriend when it's when he got a bit of change together. He struck me as the guy that my friend Alex described at university because he used to try it on with her when they were young. Because, you know, like all those Essex families with money all know each other. And he didn't cover himself in glory. You can see why people don't like her. And I can imagine him being a nightmare to do business with. But that's not, the, that's not to hide the fact that Simon Jordan failed. He failed consummately to just focus on, tell us what Matcham were doing and why it took five weeks. What did the board ask? If the board didn't ask for anything, awesome. But all the stuff that Hearn was saying is to distract you. They try and pin this on Robert Smith. Here's one thing I can tell you with absolute certainty. The chairman of the British Boxing Board of Control is a guy called Guy Williamson. This is a fact, right? Guy Williamson's one of the leading lawyers in his field right now. This is a fact. You can go and check. Yeah? Guy Williamson is an incredibly smart man. Not only that, Guy Williamson is the 1985 super heavyweight ABA champion. Guy Williamson is in that peer group with guys like Robert Smith. All of these kind of like OGs, these guys in their, in their 60s now. The Guy Williamson must be touching 65. I mean, he's been in the sport and from what I understand, he's never really left. So he knows all these guys that Barry in there. And so what Eddie should have said was, since the Dillian White incident, they've brought Guy Williamson in. Guy Williamson gives you that legal cover in terms of, I can tell you what should happen and what shouldn't happen. And if I don't know it, I know someone who does. So every, every move the board has made has not been at the whim of Robert Smith. It has been in discussion with Guy Williamson. This is, this is why the board are moving as they do. And here's the thing Simon Jordan was meant to say. Here's what he was meant to say. Eddie Hearn made this argument. He said, look, I can't stop the fight. It's in the contract, right? Unless the board remove their sanction, I have no choice but to make sure this fight goes ahead. I don't believe that is true. Eddie Hearn, as a service provider, is perfectly within his rights to withdraw his services. Anytime he feels to continue would be harmful to his business and against the principles of which he, engaged, he chose to engage to do business, right? So walk with me on this. Had that fight gone ahead at the board's um, support and confirmation and something had happened to either fighter, Eubank or Ben, where would the lawsuit land? The same place that landed with Michael Watson. It will land at the board's door. And because the liability sits with the board, the owner sits on the board to satisfy themselves of any material detail. That is the duty of care the board have. The Edward Goodneck thing reinforces that. The whole Nick Blackwell thing shouldn't be forgotten either. The board is under a duty to avail itself of anything that is of material consideration when looking at whether to sanction a fight or not. Now, I would have just said to Eddie Hearn, are you telling me that two failed VADA tests do not count as a material consideration? And Eddie's response would have been, they have no jurisdiction with VADA. It doesn't matter. It's, here's an example of what should happen. If a boxer comes out, a licensed boxer today comes out and says, I've been taking steroids for the last four years and haven't been caught. The board will ask for a hearing and they'll say, look, we need to talk. What is this? And then UCAD will say, we need to be involved in this. Because it's a material piece of information. The guy hasn't failed a test. 
But this is materially important in terms of not only protecting the fighters, but protecting the integrity of the sport. So these two failed tests sit in that category of things that are important in considering whether to sanction a fight or not. This is material information. And secondly, in maintaining the integrity and dignity of the sport and ma maintaining the strong repute of the sport in the eyes of the public. This stuff is all important. Simon Jordan could have said that if he had just bothered to prepare. The other thing was, you know, Hearn was talking about he's not going to throw Conor Ben under the bus because he believes Conor Ben. He's not the kind of guy to abandon a fighter he believes in. And I just go back to O'Hara Davis. He buried O'Hara Davis. He didn't think twice about ending his relationship with O'Hara Davis. He felt no interest in gathering the facts. He felt no interest. He did what other people pressured him to do. And he terminated his relationship with O'Hara Davis. Let us never forget this. And that happened quick. Yet here he is standing by Conor Ben. A guy who actually, as a statement of fact, failed two drug tests. A samples and B samples. Eddie has now confirmed this. And this is all stuff that Simon Jordan could have known. Because if you know it, I know it. He knows it. But he didn't have that focus and discipline to actually walk Eddie Hearn down a path where it says, look, you're just talking in your own interests here. But there was a point that, that had me confused in this debate. And there's a point where... Early on in the discussion, Eddie was like, I, I couldn't stop the fight. That's what he said, right? He said he couldn't stop the fight because only the board could stop it by withdrawing their sanction. And then later on in the discussion, he said, I had no choice but to stop the fight. I chose to stop the fight. Someone said, you chose to stop the fight. And he said, yes. And at that point, someone should have said, I thought you said the board were the only ones who could stop the fight. I thought you were under contract to make sure this fight happens at all costs. And that line of, discussion was never explored there's so many things and i'll come back to this point this is why they'll never have someone like me sit in a room with eddie hearn without pr people there without it being edited i just have rumors that this talk sport thing may have you know you may see clips of this somewhere you know it wouldn't wouldn't put it i won't put it past eddie hearn to get someone like frank smith to film him in TalkSport. Here's Eddie Hearn going to show Simon Jordan who's boss. That wouldn't, I wouldn't put it past someone like a Frank Smith or whoever they got in the office to do that. If some T-boy to do that. And then Eddie can go, yeah, I showed him. And then we'll get the matchroom spin on, on what happened. And, you know, Jordan kept focusing on stuff like strict liability. And he was, he was right. Um, Eddie Hearn showed that he doesn't understand what doping is because strict liability is how it works. Um, it just struck me, struck me as he was digging into this Dillian White playbook from all those years ago, not realizing everything's moved on. Like the board have shored up their defenses. The public are now more prepared and more clued up. You can't keep spinning nonsense to us. You know, we need a specifics. Hearn wasn't giving them. Simon Jordan wasn't pressing for them. It was it was just a poor effort overall. Um, I, I thought Eddie came out of it looking bad. He looked like a like a middle-aged man who should know how to behave better, a bit cringeworthy, you know, he's got the, I was going to say salt and pepper, it's probably just white and brown sugar beard he's got now, cringeworthy all around. The one thing I am going to defend him on, and this came later in the discussion, was when he was talking about Joshua Boatze, because on that he's 100% right. I think he's a 1,000% wrong on Conor Ben, but he's 100% right on Joshua Boatze. And he did say, look, we invested in this guy. We're currently at a loss in terms of how much we've put in and how much he's generated, which I believe because Josh has never been a big ticket seller. He's never been a big attraction in London. 
Let me say this again. He has never been a big attraction in London. There are certain people that if they box on an amateur show, they bring numbers. The first person I ever saw do this was Ted Cheeseman about 10 years ago. And, you know, Ted could fill out a Fisher show on his own. I think when he had his first senior bout, September 2013, he essentially sold out the whole arena himself. That was Ted Cheeseman. So I've seen it happen with Ted Cheeseman. I've heard it's happened before with Kevin Mitchell. It started to happen a bit with Anthony Yard when he built his movement and O'Hara Davis. When that, when that group moved together, they were an attraction. Kid that I used to train, Courtney Bennett, was an attraction. You knew he, to an amateur show, courses brought 20, 30 people. No one does that at an amateur show. That's hard, unless it's your show. And this was at away shows. So people kept booking them. Josh wasn't pulling in numbers. I think John O'Donnell pulled in numbers as well. I'm trying to think of guys who did. The O'Meara family must have pulled in numbers when Dale Youth had shows. There are a handful of people who pulled in numbers in the amateurs. Josh wasn't one of them. So when Josh won the Olympic bronze, he was probably better known outside of London than in London. And he never sold tickets like that. You look at someone like Richard Riakpoor. Richard Riakpoor was on matchroom shows because he could shift. Not, he couldn't just shift tickets. He shifted expensive tickets. Um, Richard had a good relationship with the Latif family. And they thought nothing of putting 20 grand down on some tickets. And so Richard was set up. Josh has never had that. Yeah, Josh has never had that. Josh has never had a big endorsement deal. Like 258 didn't really work for him. They didn't really put it in for him, for him to, to monetize who and what he was. And so Josh is there confused, badly advised, by the way. I've said this before, I'll say it again. He's been badly advised in his approach to this. He, he would have been better leaving on a handshake because the things he said have been sort of debunked. Number one, if you're being offered 1.25 million pounds to fight Dimitri Bivol, you take it. I don't care. You take it. If it's an option for three additional fights, so what? Who are your three additional fights going to be? Let's just pick realistically, right? You're going to fight Bivol. If you beat Bivol, your first fight of the three is the rematch with Bivol. If that don't pop for you, you're going to fight Callum Smith. So that's two out of your three fights sorted. Nothing that's going to put you, you know, do any harm to your career. Then there's a third fight. Yeah. And they may take you off the matchroom estate. They may not. It may be a Lyndon Arthur. It may be a yard fight. Essentially, the big fights are the big fights. You, they're going to be made with the same people. Josh was in a position to do that. So why he chose to leave baffles me. He could have been the loyal soldier that stayed and made a whole, a whole stack of money. Now he's on Sky, and I don't care what anyone says on Sky. He'll always play second fiddle to Dan Aziz because I keep saying Dan has the hearts of the fans. And Josh will always play second fiddle to Dan on that. So it doesn't make sense to me. But Hearn is 100% right. I can't let you fight my champion and then walk off. Not after I've invested in you. You need to stay here till I get my money back. Fair play. And I don't knock that. Remember, everyone gets rich in this, by the way. So what we know for certain is, Boatsy turned down 600 grand to fight Pascal. And we'll come on to Pascal later because... He lost. So that was a winnable fight. Would have put him in pole position to fight Baturbiev. Could have taken that fight for 600. 
could have fought Yard. I'm guessing the Yard fight would have been a seven-figure deal. Could have fought Bivol for seven figures. You've turned all of these down. Who the hell's advising you? Because I'm trying to understand what the bigger picture is. I genuinely think he's a man who doesn't accept that he's not as good as he thinks he is. And maybe that's the conversation Mark Gillespie had with him. I don't know. But someone had to sit there and say, mate, maybe you're not as good as you think you are. And now he's gone, yeah, if that's the case, how about I don't take these risky fights until I feel I'm ready. But you're 30 years old. If you're not ready now, you'll never be ready. I'm not sure what you expect to learn between 30 and 31, 32 that you don't already know now. I don't believe there is anything. I just think it's, it's a crisis of confidence. He wants more control over his career. I'm not necessarily against that. But I don't know if you've got the right people around you for you to have full control of your career. And like I said, that's why I'm going to defend Eddie Hearn because he didn't do anything egregious in what he offered Josh. That's a hell of a lot of money for a guy who, to this point, has only beaten Craig Richards. Like I said, Bolotniks is just the guy that was created in the MTK-verse for us to believe was a serious threat. He's only ever really beaten Craig Richards. And even then, I think Craig just let him off the hook. So now, I will, I will defend Eddie on that one, defend Frank in terms of his dealings with Boatsy. I wish Bo- Josh Boatsy all the best, by the way. I, w- I hope he fulfills his potential. I just hope he gets some good people around him. Uh, and I feel the same way about Jack Massey. I heard Jack's now signed with Joe Gallagher. Um, congratulations to Joe. I, if we talk about Jack Massey, the boxer, I think Jack has potential to be European level plus in the cruiserweight division. He has. He's got that in him to be that sort of guy. But I don't see him having the character to fulfill that. I'm going to explain why. I already did an episode on Jack, so I don't need to rehash those points. But if you jettison Dennis with the disrespect you did, when you jettison the Rimmer family with the disrespect you have done, yet Kevin Marie stays, why does Kevin Marie stay? what has he done that the others haven't done? That doesn't make sense to me. If he had got rid of everyone and said, I'm starting again, I'd have understood it. But Kevin Marie seems to be there. Is he the one instigating all of this? Because if he is, then it's disrespectful. There's a lot of people there who went in, who put their hand in their pocket for Jack Massey. I never hear him thank people who put their hand in their pocket. And I hope he doesn't do Joe dirty like he's done everyone else because Joe doesn't deserve that. And to be fair, Joe doesn't even need him. You know, Joe's got Jose Burton there if he needs to operate in the cruiserweight division. But we'll see, man. I'm not going to second-guess Joe. I think I imagine Joe knows what he's doing. And Joe probably knows more of the story than I do. So I wish them all the best. I'm just of the view that as long as Kevin Marie is next to Jack Massey, that's the problem. And until Jack can see that, I don't see him being the competitive threat that he has the potential to be. But I'm happy to be proved wrong, and I'll take I'll take that all day, every day. But I want to, you know, you can't keep talking about the guys who who sort of do boxing the wrong way and not congratulate those who do boxing the right way. So kudos to Jermaine Brown. I think he's fighting Ivan Zucco. Is it this Friday in Italy? So he's going all the way to Milan to go and fight um, Sky. I imagine we're just saying we don't have slots for you right now. So wherever you need to go to get busy, do it. And so he's got the show in Italy, and this is the second time he's fought abroad, if you remember, um, just under three years ago, he went and fought Dmitry Chudinov out in, in Minsk, yeah, it was Minsk, 
And so credit to Jermaine, like I think it's dawning on him, he may have to do this the hard way. But the upside is he's in the super middleweight division where you're never far away from a world title shot. And I think if he can just move pretty quickly, do a bit of learning. And, and I know he's not going to want to hear me say this, but I think he needs to thicken up a bit. Like when you look at Jermaine as a super mid, I imagine he could probably hold a few more kilos, maybe about two and a half, three extra kilos in the right places. And that would make the difference. Because when you look at who's who as super mid, um, you've got guys like, in the UK, you've got John Ryder, you've got Zach Parker, obviously you've got Zach Chelly, you've got Mark Heffron. If Jermaine can get his physicality up to a level and just tweak that decision-making in the ring and, you know, just... Just a few more wrinkles to his game. He's in that crowd. And then once you get out of Britain, you're only ever one or two shots away from a world title. So I'm hoping this is the start of a good 12 months for Jermaine. I'm always going to be biased because obviously I know Jermaine personally and I know Adam is trainer. But I love seeing guys go, right, I'll fight anyone, anywhere. We know we talked about this with Dan Aziz fighting in France and how that was good preparation. I know I raise concerns because I think Dan should be headlining in the UK. I think you build Dan here. I think there are other guys you can build on your foreign shows, like the guys who are coming through. But Dan Aziz should be built here. He should be built nationally. He should be, he should be a guy doing meet and greets everywhere, even on shows where he's not fighting. You have a show in Liverpool, Dan Aziz shows up in a school with his European title. They should be milking Dan Aziz for all he's worth because... He's the sort of guy you want as your franchise. I look at Dan now and I go, why wouldn't you just go to Matchroom? I imagine if you said to Eddie Hearn, what could you do with Dan Aziz? Eddie's like, I'll do anything with Dan. A couple of fights, we'll have him in with Canelo. I, I can see Eddie thinking that way with a Dan Aziz because he hasn't got to do anything with Dan. Just talk him up and he knows Dan's doing the rest in the background. So I wouldn't be surprised if strategically Matchroom will come knocking for Dan. So it's been a weird time because we've kind of had Eddie Hearn in full clown mode the last few days, haven't we? He was he was in the States for Ryder Canelo, a fight that makes no sense to anybody. Um, John Ryder doesn't stand a chance against Canelo. I don't want to hear anyone try and give me an argument to the contrary to that. Canelo's too good a boxer. Canelo's of comparable height, comparable build. Um, Canelo will have the same um, medicine cabinet. So I'm like... What are you going to do? A kind of gorilla shoulder shrug every time Canelo jabs you. Thanks, but no thanks. I think it's a routine fight for Canelo. He may make it entertaining for his fans, but John's not a high-activity fighter. Canelo would love that because it means Canelo can just pick him off. This is just another British payday for him. No drama there. And, you know, Hearn was just in full nonsense mode trying to convince us that this is a competitive fight. Even Ryder tried to say Canelo's had his worst year ever. And John Ryder's like, I'm coming off my best year ever. I'm like, a guy broke his hand against your head. And you're saying it's your best year ever. Like, that doesn't make any sense. You know, we're not that far off the stink of the Callum Smith result. So for me, it's a fight that probably won't pay attention to. A fight that no one particularly cares about. That's why it's happening in Guadalajara. And this is another sign of Hearn being desperate. Um, scraping the barrel. And like I've said before... <laughs> I don't believe DeZone have full confidence in him. I think they just stuck with him. I think if, if they had their way, they would literally jettison Hearn and De La Hoya and just say to Al Heyman, what will it cost to bring you on board? 
because he seems like a guy they can do business with. And just as an example, so if you look at what's happened in the last few days, like Sky moving to Channel 429, zone uh, moving to Channel 429 on the Sky platform. You know, Hearn will talk about how he was involved in that. That's not a Hearn decision. That's a distribution call. So that's, that's run by your chief commercial officer. Nothing to do with Hearn. Boxing fans need to separate Hearn from DAZN. This is a commercial entity that's realized what they were selling wasn't what the public wanted. We don't want to consume sport via an app. I do not care who you are. The only time it's permissible is if you're on a train. If you're traveling, you'll consume it because you're like, this is the, the least of my, I mean, least of my pains, right? It's either I listen to the radio or I watch it on an app. So it does only make sense in those situations. But that's not how you build a lifetime bond. People still watch big screen TVs because that's just how we consume TV. It's a social thing. If you have people in your house, you'll watch it together. You invite friends, you have beer. That's what you do. And I know you can stream it via, too complicated. So channel 429 is a way to bring visibility to the zone. It may not increase sales, but when you're scrolling through and you've gone through all those billion Sky Channel, Sky Premier League, Sky News, Sky Action, Sky Mix, Sky Arena, Sky This, Sky That. Then you hit the Eurosport and it's Korfball, scroll on. Then it's, I don't even know, downhill skiing. And then it's someone skiing down the moguls. And then it's luge. And then I don't know, what, what else do they do? Kabaddi. And then you get to Channel 429 and it's the zone. At least someone has seen that DAZN exists. And you go, well, what's this? So it's a distribution play. And it says, let's grow our distribution. And then we can migrate these guys onto the app when we need to. Because the problem with having it on a linear TV channel is this. Well, there are two problems. One, Sky get all the data. They know how many people are watching you. They know how long they're watching for. They'll have all of your consumption data. So they'll know how big a threat you are. So competitively, I see where that comes from. But big picture-wise... If you're looking to integrate, which is where this is going to end eventually, Sky have far too much information that will help their negotiation position. The downside is if you're trying to build all this wonderful tech that sits in your app, you need everyone on the app. Now, there's the other option is you can run the app and the TV channel in parallel, right, off one subscription. So I can still do all the messaging, the betting, the e-commerce and all that stuff on my phone while I'm watching on the TV. So that's another upside of it. It frees up your device to do all the other stuff in real time. So you get that double effect. So I understand exactly why the brains trusted zone would decide to have a linear channel. I don't think it's a long-term solution just because like you're paying rent on someone else's estate and they're finding out more and more about you. But I understand from a long-term perspective why you'd want to have a linear TV station and an app and see if you can have people run them together. Now you dominate the screen time. You can sell advertising in one and not the other. Nice and simple. So yeah, from a growth perspective, it's a gamble worth taking. Um, for Josh Boatsy, <laughs> I mean, he could have been on Sky if he just stayed on the app. Um, then what happened on the second one? The Katie Taylor one. So Katie Taylor's fighting Chantal Cameron. I think it's in about eight weeks and some days, right? Eight weeks and some change. Katie Taylor showed up looking like Katie Taylor. Like Katie Taylor could fight tomorrow if she needed to. Chantal Cameron looked like she had literally just signed on that morning. She means signed on, came to do the press conference, had to pick the kids up from school after. She looked like that. And I was like, she can't, she won't be fight ready in eight weeks, will she? Really? 
Now, maybe it was some kidology and she just wore extra layers for people to believe that she wasn't in fight shape. Maybe I fell for the, for the okie doke. I don't know. But she didn't look like she'd been in camp that long, even if she had been. For the biggest fight of her life, this is the fight she's always wanted. So to do this in eight weeks, um, what, what do Travis and Jamie Moore know that we don't know? That's the only question I want to ask on that. But yeah, Chantal Cameron, if she pulls this off from where, from where I saw her at the press conference, good luck to her. Big respect if she pulls that off because it looks like there's going to be a lot of cardio and a lot of road work to get ready for this fight. And they shouldn't be because, like I said, a professional boxer's job. I know people say the job is in the ring. No, the job is to make weight. The job is to be on weight. The job is actually everything you do outside the ring. That is when you're professional. And all that happens on fight night is you get to show your professionalism. I am so determined to keep this under 35 minutes. So I'm going to try and fly through everything. Um, Jean-Pascal lost to Michael Eford. No one knows who the hell Michael Eford is for the record. Like, I wish I knew who this guy was. So here's where I'm confused, right? Jean-Pascal's been there for the taking for a while. This Michael Eford guy's probably not that good either. Where, where were the British promoters putting money up for these sorts of fights? Credit where credit's due, Frank did. I'm so, I, I hope Frank Warren is not getting his checkbook out for this Michael Eford guy, who's probably not going to want to fight Baturbiev yet anyway. So get him, get him and get some money. Why aren't people thinking like this? Dan should be in this mix. Like, I don't even know who that German guy is. And he beat Pascal by staying busy. And I said Pascal was there for the taking. He was there for the taking. That would have been a good name for any British light heavyweight to have taken. And I think they could have all done it. Lyndon Arthur could have done it too. So I think that's a, that's a massive missed opportunity. Um, someone who has got a great opportunity is Ellie Scottney. Um, I, I think Ellie Scottney's class. Um, I was watching, what was I watching the other day? I was watching a town called Malice. Now, people think this is just a TV-based sidebar. It's not, actually. So, A Town Called Malice stars Jack Rowan. Jack Rowan used to box at Fitzroy Lodge as a junior, and I think he had some senior bouts as well. You know, a guy who's really, really... I mean, he really did it in the sport. And had he not turned to acting, he'd probably have tried to go pro as a boxer. So, so there is a, a logical boxing connection there. But I was watching that thinking, this is the sort of show that needs Ellie Scottney in there. Now... Do I recommend you watch it? Um, it feels a bit like they just tried to remake the business for TV. So it's like, you know what Nick Love's like. He's just milking his franchise. But Nick Love was making these films in that era where all these ex-bouncers and debt collectors were releasing books, right? And Katie Cray was doing their life stories on Channel 5. It was a perfect time to release that stuff because that was the zeitgeist. I think we've kind of moved past that now because they've all kind of done podcasts and they've done the, the James English stuff and they've done all of this stuff where we've moved past that. But I was watching that going, do you know what? This needs Ellie Scottney in here to give some South London authenticity because it didn't have any, unfortunately. Um, but it's worth watching because I didn't expect the twists and turns in there. So if you've got Sky Mix, you can get all eight episodes now. But yeah, I didn't think I'd be able to connect Ellie Scottney, South London, in a TV show through boxing and I think I've managed to do that sweet so she's fighting is it Shanika Johnson that should be fighting for the IBF title on the Katie Taylor undercard which was an undercard I had zero interest in until they put Eddie Scottney on there and I'd love Eddie Scottney to win a world title because there's someone who's done it the right way has every performance been electric no 
but that's women's boxing for you, man. We're, we're, we're having to adjust our expectations and marvel at the skill level. They're not always going to get knockouts, but you're going to get some skill and you're going to get wars. That's the great thing about it. You're going to get a bit of everything. And I think Elle's delivered that. And I think under Shane, she should see herself to a world championship. And I think she deserves it. The absolute class act. Carries South London on her back with pride. Just a great human being. Look at her social media. It doesn't put a foot wrong. You know, put your hand up if you watch a boxing bout. And as soon as you see it get a bit controversial or whatever, you're looking for an Ellie Scottney tweet. You are. She gets it right most times. And I think that's what we like to see in, in a box. We like to see someone who puts their head above the parapet. And so kudos to her. You know, I'm a big fan. Got a lot of time and respect for her. Known her a long time. And this is her moment. And I know she'll seize it. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that's May 20th. Any of my Irish brothers and sisters, you may see me there. Not long till we got Joshua Franklin. Had to get AJ in there. Um, things I'm hearing at the moment. Joshua's looking good. Um, maybe could dial up the hunger a bit, but hey, he may be saving that for fight night. Um, I'm hearing Jermaine Franklin's looking okay. Um, so this may actually be like Jermaine Franklin trying to counterpunch Joshua in the fight. And I don't recommend that because counterpunching is such a hard skill. Like, and you need pop in your shots to counterpunch. You know, like James Tony was a good counterpuncher, but don't forget how hard Tony hit. So it gave you that, that disincentive to launch an attack because you knew something would come straight back and it would hurt. If Jermaine Franklin can do that, Joshua might be in trouble, but I don't know if he can counterpunch someone as big and as aggressive as AJ can be. But I, I think it'll be really, really interesting. I think what you're looking for, for me with Franklin is, can he land those short, quick uppercuts and hooks on the inside? Can he start touching Joshua's chin from positions Joshua can't see? If he can do that, he might have Joshua confused. I think that's your best bet is just trying to catch him with those little uppercuts, just a little bit off center. I mean, come around the side with the hooks as well. But it's a big ask. Like in your first real big fight, that's a big ask, man. The O2 is not the same as the Wembley Arena. So I don't know if he can pull it off. But it comes back to this point. How good is AJ really? We're not going to find out with Jermaine Franklin because I don't think Franklin's good enough to trouble any of the top five to ten boxers in his division. So what are we going to learn? Absolutely nothing. All Joshua can do here is tarnish his legacy even further. I hope he doesn't. I hope, I hope Joshua now understands that it's not about the media training. It's not about doing what Master Eddie says. It's not about anything about that. It's about you, Anthony Joshua, giving us, the fans, a reason to be excited in your career now. You know, so I want to see that when people interview him, if he wins, I want to see him. I don't care about Fury. I'm tired of talking about these idiots. You know, we either fight or we don't. If we're not fighting by the end of this year, don't talk to me about that. I want to see that aggression in him. I want him to be calling out Wilder and say, listen, Deontay, you come here, man. I was in Texas. You can drive down from Alabama to Texas. We can even just spar if you want. We need that spikiness in Asia. I don't know if we're going to get it, but I live in eternal hope that we do get it. Um, other stuff that's been happening. So we are in, um, I still call it ABA season, but like the national championships are happening. I haven't got the full country breakdown, so that's on you guys. You ain't been telling me who's winning what. I can tell you that the London ones are done. So I want to congratulate a young kid, Tyrese Ramsey. Um, a lot of you won't know who he is now, but I promise to God on this trajectory that he's on, you'll know about him in a couple of years. 
kid kid's got everything he's just got to he's he's just got to be able to do that round after round after round and it's coming with maturity he's still relatively green and like he's made it out the london's and so that's an impressive achievement he's done well and i genuinely think this year he could get to the final and win it so congratulations to him um Young kid that I remember Donald Smith telling me about Tino Bello. Is it Belliot? I can't even remember now. I need to say Belfort though. So he boxes at Adele Youth at 92 kilos. So he came through while I saw some clips of him performing. He's looking good. Um, congratulations to Dale Youth, man. Dale Youth look like they're back. I think they had two London champions and then an additional kid or two in the finals. And I remember going past Dale Youth in the lockdown. And they got a coach there, Brian, lovely man, showed me the, the refurb gym. I hadn't seen it, actually. Like, the facility looks incredible. Be cheeky and say they should have given them more space. They deserved it. But it's a lovely, lovely gym. And at that time, the real struggle was, will we be able to get the bodies back in? Will we be able to get enough kids down here boxing? Because they're doing all the sessions outside, you know, for COVID compliance reasons. And it's good to see that it's all paid off, man. We had a couple at our show in December I'm just happy for them, man. I think when Dale Youth are good, when Earlsfield are good, when all these clubs are good, boxing in general is good because then you know it's really competitive. Um, so it was good to see that they've done well. Um, they had a lad on our show on Thursday. So that was a really busy boxing day. I popped into Earlsfield to see uh, Sid Khan, Paul Simmons and the crew. Lovely to see them. Disappointed not to see Mr. Daniel Parker, the world's greatest ever coach in his own mind, apparently, allegedly, you know. Some of us are full-time, some of us are part-time. But, you know, we love watching what happens at Earlsfield because season after season, they've sort of hung in there. They've hung in there till they get another golden generation. So they're always competitive. And I love how simple the training is there. Just do, do all the right things and do them over and over again till it's flawless. And just credit to Sid for running a tight ship, um, maintaining the legacy. Just, yeah. Got a lot of respect for those guys. We're, we're rivals in a sense, but that's just a competitive rivalry. There's a lot of respect that goes there. So kudos to them. So I passed through there on the way to our show up in Wandsworth. Um, different story there. Um, you know when you're at a club and it's kind of in its nascent phases and it's learning how to be a club and it's learning how to be successful and we're, we're putting the building blocks in for greatness, in fact. You have to go through this stage of the flashes of brilliance. So there are a load of lovely young kids there, some great athletes, some strong bastards in there, that's for sure. And, you know, over the course of three, three rounds or so, they'll give you one and a half rounds of exactly what you want. But it's, it's not consistent enough. So from a coaching perspective, the, this is that process where you learn to to just refine everything into a repeatable model. Right, apologies. Realized that when I initially recorded this, it cut off after 34 minutes and 24 seconds. I didn't even realize that. There's a lesson for you. Always check the ending, which I didn't do. Although I swear I did. So I have no idea what's happened there, but let's buttress this up by actually finishing how the episode should have ended. So what I was saying was, did a, did a club show Thursday, um, loved what the kids did, still a long way to go, and I think they know that, it's a long way to learn, but the ambition has to be to make them elite, so my test for elite is, I feel confident you can win three three-minute rounds against anybody, 
Now, you may face someone better than you, and it's like, oh, it could be hard, but he's got it in him or she's got it in her to win three out of three. That's the holy grail in training. And so people think you train for top-level skill, top-level ability. You don't really. You train for that consistency. That three-round consistency is what you actually train for. And, you know, you, you see it. I think you see it with the best guys at GB. Whether you think they're talented or not, they can do the same thing for three rounds. And that's an impressive quality to have. Because when you turn up at the pros, you've got to be able to be you for 12 rounds. That's when you become Mayweather. That's when you become Pacquiao. Look at how savage they were in those last three rounds. And that's why they call them the championship rounds. Because it's not about whether you've still got power. It's about whether you've still got the, the concentration and the heart and all these sort of intangible things that you can't necessarily manufacture. You just earn them through years of consistency and dedication. So in terms of the club show, I thought it was really good. It's lovely to see, I mean, a lot of the old folks again. So shouts out to Coach Kev. Um, he's at Spark Fit. I think, I think they're relocating. I've no idea. But, you know, they, they're building something out there. I think Croydon is probably the new hotspot for boxing talent. I just think you've got a lot of the raw materials you need for successful fighters out of there. So good luck to them. I mean, absolutely brilliant. Always nice to see people in the sport that, acknowledge the podcast and show love and are freely willing to admit that they listen because it's easy to consume and what I've learned is not everybody's going to be vocal in their support because some people I mean they've got to play the politics so I fully understand that but I like the people who who are honest at least face to face to say they listen so I understand that some people use their influence behind the scenes and that's also helpful and well appreciated too but it was a fantastic show well attended um just good folk around there managed to hopefully build some bridges from my past as well one of the things i'm trying to do is be a better person in that sense and just try and try and avoid conflict wherever possible and i know people would have read the tweets between me and coogan going back and forth but i can reassure you man that's just it's just for entertainment like no one's gonna meet each other and start taking jackets off because like what are we really doing it for over a sport that neither of us controls no Honest, honestly, I like what Coogan does. And the reason I like what Coogan does, and I keep saying this, and I get bored of saying it, he was the first guy over here to show that this could work. Everybody, podcasters, videographers, um, video interviewers, your boxing socials, um, your boxing king medias, Michael, the emperor, I mean, the legend that is Michael the Emperor, um, Triple B, based Boxing Basement, whatever his name is, shouts out to him as well. All of us, New Age, me, all of us are birthed by what Coogan and James Helder did. All birthed by that. You know, when Danny Watley was doing his video too, we're all birthed by it. So Coogan occupies a unique place in that even if you disagree with how he interviews people, and a lot of times we do, but we also understand that he can't press because he's establishment now. I think Coogan's problem is he gets too defensive about that. If he was honest and just said, guys, I'm establishment now. I can't take the risks that you guys can, but I'll be on the sidelines supporting you and cheering you on. If there's something I can use, I will use it. That's all he had to do. I don't know why he gets so defensive because no one... He's almost like, how do you describe it? Can you imagine Lennox Lewis being sat there every day going, 
yeah, I beat that guy. I beat this guy. I beat that guy. I beat him today, right now, as I am. You look at Lennox and say, Lennox, chill, man. You're an all-time great. You already did it. Just chill. Offer guidance, man, and share your wisdom and do all that stuff and help other people get better. That's what you'd say to him. And that's what Lennox does. That's what Coogan should do. Coogan doesn't have to be in the trenches anymore. Do you mean he's, he's gone? Unassailable. For, for what he does, he's unassailable. And, and we all have to go, yeah, respect him for, for putting it down like that. But we can still check him sometimes when he tries to be a smart ass. And he, that's his thing. He doesn't have to come down to our level. But he chooses to. And when you do, you realize, I think I said to him, cows graze and lions hunt. He's playing a dangerous game in that sense because we're all hungry. But now, shouts out to Coogs, man. You know, hopefully this time when I see him, he's not going to pretend like I don't exist because that wasn't in keeping with the nature of our relationship. So I was disappointed by that. But no, that's what I wanted to say on that. Like, it's all, it's all love, man. Like, we're all in the same ecosystem just trying to make sense of it. And I just had a really beautiful exchange with friend of mine, Yilmaz Mustafa. Um, Yilmaz legend of a guy, the nicest guy in the world. And, you know, while it's his story to tell, the way that his boxing career ended was tragic. Super, super skilled. Was one of those guys at 81, I'll go on record as saying this, as a light heavyweight or even as a middleweight, if he did his running, he could hang with the Boatsis, he could hang with the Azizas, the Sterlings. He was in that category, comfortably in that category. Really skilled, fast hands, could do it all. And it's good to see that he's still coaching now. So I think he's down at East London Boxing Academy and he's working with someone that the small hall guys know. So I know, he's, I know there was a video out there of him working with Daniel Mendes. So if that's the case, then fair play to him. Um, I think Daniel's in good hands. Yomaz really knows the game. And, I mean, he's been doing this since he was like 11. So what's that, 25 years, 26 years he's been doing it? So he deserves a spot. And they're, they're the sorts of people that, no matter what people say about me, I always shine light and I always show love to people who are grafting and really putting it in. And that's one of the reasons I, I have the position I do in the sport. I'm not saying it's an amazing position, but it's one of trust and respect because I just keep it honest and I keep it real. Hold on, sorry. <laughs> I just read that um, Tommy Fury and Jake Paul did 800,000 pay-per-view buys. Um, Boxing's crazy, isn't it? One of the things I do want to ask is, and I know I've completely gone off topic here because I saw this and it sort of triggered a thought in my head. Why hasn't Charlie Zelenoff been brought into one of these Misfits shows? I'd like to see Charlie Zelenoff against Salt Pappy. And I see this because people are like, you know, the, Charlie Zelenoff is probably the meme of the day today. And I'd quite like to see that. But let me just come back to just boxing talk. One of the things I wanted to say, and I sort of forgot this in the initial, I didn't forget it in the initial one of the episode, it just didn't make the cut clearly. Salute to Danny Watley, man. It was lovely seeing Danny in the corner with a lad that he's worked with clearly. Like I've sort of seen him do the officiating and the judging, and I know that was like his route back in, but he looks like he's doing what he's doing, doing what he's loving now. And... As someone who's kind of been on the sidelines watching the drama unfold, number one, I think it's absolutely disgusting to free someone out who's passionate about boxing. Like, why would you do that? And secondly, when someone derives so much spiritual health from boxing, why would you do that? It's the ultimate act of cruelty. 
all over something that's an absolute minor infraction. But the important thing is that he's back and he's doing what he loves. And I encourage all of you guys, man, get involved because, yeah, it takes up a lot of your time and you do have to say no to certain things in life, but it is more than worth your time. So, Danny Watley, salute, mate. Congratulations and welcome back. You? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Hi, Lawrence. Thank you so much for coming. What are you up to today? You've got a fight the weekend. What, what are you doing today? Is it just uh, chilling just, out this week? I'm uh, not chilling the whole week. I'll be doing, you know, my usual um, training process and just, you know, locking in on, on the fight on Saturday. Uh, you are fighting David Light. Tell us a bit about your opponent. It's a good name to have. You don't want to... You don't want to fight someone called like David Smash Your Face in, do you? No. David Lights has got an easy opponent. Um, tell us... Go on, tell us a bit about him. What can we expect to see? Is this... um, I'm guessing it's going to be a tough fight, right? Yeah, I mean, anyone that gets to world level is going to be tough. You know, he's 20-0, undefeated, um, beating a good few. So I'm just seeing, seeing this Lawrence video. So first and foremost, it's always good to see Lawrence in good form. And I love seeing Lawrence smile. So it lets us know he's in a good place. And when Lawrence is like this... You know the fight's going to be serious. Also find it quite interesting, side note, that Fury and Okoli are now training in the same gym. I don't know if you remember when Okoli went over to spa with, was it Barry Robinson? And there was a glove controversy. So hopefully they've got past that now and they've kind of talked that through. So so back to this, man. My understanding is, because I missed part of the, the, Hearn, the Hearn talk, right? So Hearn mentioned Lawrence, which isn't a good thing because Lawrence is already gone. And whatever he wants to say, like, Lawrence delivered for him. Hearn on White and Jordan this morning. Of course I did. I think most Potsdam fans would have been uh, tuning in to, uh, to that one. Uh, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was a good watch. I laughed, I laughed a lot. Um, learned a lot as well. So it was good. OK, I want to play a piece of audio and then get your view on the back of it, if that's OK. Um, have a listen. This is your former promoter, Eddie Hearn, when he was speaking to Simon Jordan. He was in the studio for 90 minutes. Here's what he had to say about your departure to boxer. Lawrence Acoli, another situation, OK? You have to make a call. Go back to the Crystal Palace days, right? And I'll say this to you. A player, right, gets an offer for, you know, he's out of contract or, or his, his yeah. contract's approaching. We've, we've been there with Leighton Orient. Energy, but understand what we've been mean. there with Leighton Orient. And all of a sudden, you have an option to pay a certain amount of money or to let the, let the fighter go. You of have course. to make a commercial decision based on the ability of that player or the fighter, the draw, the numbers, yeah, everything it, around but it. There's no, but the, the, the point I was making is no... So let's just hold for a second. Let's remember who Lawrence Okoli is to match room, right? Think of all the matchroom fighters you've looked and said, your career's been a cherry-picked. Callum Smith is top of that tree, by the way. Callum Smith, cherry-picked career. Yeah? Never put in harm's way. Never put in harm's way. Lawrence Ocoli has done nothing but be put in harm's way. Think of all the criticism Lawrence receives. Now think of everything that Lawrence has won and the ease with which he's won it. And not once did Eddie go, Lawrence was fantastic for us. Lawrence was fantastic for Matchroom. Lawrence was fantastic for what we were trying to do, which was accumulate world champions. Quite criticism of that observation, right? Because the guy, you pay your money, he takes your choice, right? And so does the fighter. But the reaction from the fighters about being on the zone is not a particularly complimentary one. I, I disagree. Um, on the back of that, Lawrence, I get, I get from Eddie that he decided it was his commercial decision to let you go. Is that how you see it? Or was it your decision to leave Matchroom? I mean, um, obviously, at the end of the day, um, yes, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, 
it's obviously he picks and chooses what he says. I mean, we know what Eddie Hearn's like as a character anyway. He's a salesman. So um, when something suits him and it's on the side, he's the biggest promoter of that thing. This is the best thing ever. And as soon as it decides to go elsewhere, he has, you know, the opposite to say. In terms of that, I mean, you, 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 you have a choice in terms of, okay, cool, well, you know, um, I've gone this way. And at the end of the day, I don't really want to overly get into Eddie Hearn. Um, he's a former promoter. It's like talking about an ex over and over again. It's just his way it is. Let him say what he wants, do what he wants. I'm very happy with how my life's going, and I just have to focus on winning. Okay, I understand. Do you speak to him at all anymore? I mean, me and him have chats because we have an ongoing situation um, behind the scenes that maybe I'm not allowed to talk too much on. But, you know, obviously since the... Um, and, you know, he says it so casually there, like, oh, you have an option to meet it. I didn't. But, you know, the way he acts personally is very different. He's very malicious, very bitter, um, jealous as well. And for someone who's been brought up, you know, so um, in such a great position and has done so much in terms of his own life, the way he sort of acts on a personal level, very vindictive, it's, it's, it's quite shocking, to be honest. But ultimately, you know, um, I, I actually rate him as a, promoter do you know what i mean but in terms of you know the other stuff not so much okay do you think he was wow um okay talk about not holding back it's always a worry now now if you're if you're shay segev and you're running the zone and the guy who's doing the most talking for your brand and he's doing the most talking for the brand is perceived this way by the people he is signing these aren't enemies turning on. These are guys who, if you go back to what Lawrence said at the beginning of this whole drama, he said he wanted to stay. He actually said, I want to stay, but can you match this? He never, he's never mentioned about, I don't want to fight on an app. He said, I want to stay. And Hearn wasn't willing to do so. And remember, Lawrence was a loyal soldier. Lawrence did what was asked of him. And this is how he was treated. And so... Anyone who's been around Lawrence knows Lawrence is generally quite a jovial guy. He's not, it will take a lot to get Lawrence to this point. So I imagine the phone calls are probably revealing who Eddie Hearn really is. The image the public don't get to see. They see the, the banter king, the guy who's too old to be saying the stuff that he says. Do you know what I mean? You've got a grey beard and you're still trying to act like you're 21 years old because when you're 21 years old, you weren't getting girls. You didn't have this kind of attention at 21 years old. I mean, you're harassing my mates at 21 years old, which is okay. But it comes back to this point. Why is it that when the pressure comes on, why is it that when you don't get what you want, you start exhibiting some of these feminine traits? And they, they, it's not even like they leak out. They just explode out like a, like a spoiled, petulant child. And I can see maybe this is why him and Conor Ben get along so well. Both products of privilege and both can't understand when people say no to them. Um, you know, the list goes on. Now Joshua Bratsy's gone. All of a sudden, he's scared and whatever else. Us boxers, we all talk, you know. So we're all very much aware of what he's like and, you know, conversations that are happening, you know, because at the end of the day, we're the ones that get in and we're the only ones that really understand each other. So, um, yeah, of course, he's like that with everyone. Obviously, my one was probably a little bit easier to do. Um, but, you know, with others, as we've seen literally this week, all of a sudden now... Josh Barazzi is scared and all this, but if you asked two months ago, Josh Barazzi ready for anything. So, you know, it is what it is. Had that been going on for some time, 
Lawrence, that kind of feeling at the match room? Had that been a while that that you felt a bit like a bit of an object, really, rather than a of rather course. than someone that they were absolutely with and on side with? Of course, and it's just all you have to do is look at how people act after. You know, you're no longer um, working with them. They'll they'll show you their truth. Do you know what I mean? And it's not just me. As I said, I'm not here to talk about other people and other fighters, and even that much about Eddie. Although we spent the last three or four minutes talking about him, it, it, that is the feeling amongst not just myself, a lot of fighters, and I'm sure you'll see a, a, a bunch more, a bunch more um, do similar. And here we go. Remember all those times I'd tell you this stuff and people would say to me, tin hat, tin fall hat, Terry, you don't know anything. And the usual matchroom defenders would come and shoot me down. And I used to just say, look, trust me, I hear this all the time. Hearn's only tick in the box is that he pays you on time. But that's no longer a USP because Sky will pay you on time. BT will pay you on time. No one's not getting paid in British boxing anymore. It's not like the Wild West days of Satanta and Box Nation. It's not. So now that everyone's leveled up, what is Eddie Hearn? What's Eddie actually got for you? Nothing. And now that he's under pressure, you're beginning to see that that, that cheeky chappy thing is just a facade. Here's a guy who will happily pay you 50 grand less. He, he used an expression today. I'm not prepared to put my family's business at risk. And that, that, that seemed to just disappear in the Twitter discussion. Remember this, he said that. I am not willing to put my family's... Maybe he didn't say it on TalkSport, maybe it was an IFL. But he said, I'm not willing to put my family's business at risk for Katie Taylor. Now go back and remember all the things he said about Katie Taylor fighting in Ireland. She's the biggest star in Ireland. She'll fill out Croke Park. Now he's like, oh, I can't do this. How do you not make money on 90000 Explain that to me. The other thing is, and for my Irish folk, please explain this to me. Croke Park's a sacred stadium. Croke Park is a stadium for Gaelic people to do Gaelic people things, if I remember correctly. It's where they have the GAA grand finals and stuff like that. It's a sacred place. You just want to stomp up there and, and do boxing, like, you're not showing respect for how sacred it is. I remember this because when England played Ireland in the rugby there, the significance was huge because Croke Park was like the epicenter of anti-Englishness because of its heavy influence in the world of Gaelic sports. And Hearn's not showing any of that respect. Typical, then come back to the point, typical Englishman coming in trying to impose himself on the Irish is how it's going to be read in the broad Irish community. The guy has no clue and no decorum. So it's always good to see Lawrence jump on. I hope someone gets Sahara Davis on because we need the Sahara Davis thing. We're now starting to get this 360 degree view of Eddie Hearn. The, the kilt's been lifted now. Now we're finding out if he wears briefs or boxes or nothing. And it'll be interesting to see how he fights back because he'll always point to people like Joshua and Canelo and this person, that person. But they're guys that he needs, so they can treat him any way they want. They've almost got the reverse relationship. Joshua can treat Eddie any way he wants. And what people don't understand is Eddie holds a lot of secrets on AJ. Right? Now, you imagine AJ says, I'm done with Eddie Hearn. If he just treated Josh like this, if he just treated Lawrence like this, if historically he treated O'Hara the way he did, you don't think Josh was there like, God, Eddie's going to reveal my secrets. 
Eddie's going to reveal how I really live. Maybe Eddie had an investigator follow him and maybe Eddie found all this out. Maybe Eddie paid for this information. Because rest assured, Joshua sits on top of a fair few secrets. The way he operates his operation, God, that didn't sound great. But the way he manages his operation is by design. Yeah? Keep everyone in the tent. That way the secrets don't leak out. And when they do, pay them off. So I just wanted to literally tack this on to the end because I realized I stopped abruptly at 34, 24. So hopefully this will make amends. Some of you might have to re-listen to this, but it'll be worth it. Now that I'm going to sign off and say, right, guys, take care and I will speak to you all soon, okay? Bye.